run, run, because here's another episode of They're Coming to Read You, Barbara, a podcast book club for the strange and unusual. I'm Jonathan. I'm Rebecca. And today we're joined by our special guest, Sarah. Sarah is not only Yay. our best friend and our coven sister, uh, she's been on the podcast twice before. She is also a children's librarian who lives in Maine, which makes her an expert on today's book. Yes. Because we are reading The Holiday Trap by Roan Parrish. Yes. Which Hell I yeah. realized this episode is going to come out in January after the holidays. Uh, yeah, well, Christmas is yet. But that's okay. I gave everyone a chance to read it. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so... In this romantic comedy, we're introduced to Greta and Truman, a lesbian and a gay man who decide to swap houses to escape their unfortunate circumstances for the holidays. Greta finds herself in New Orleans, but will she overcome her guilt about leaving her possessive family during Hanukkah? Meanwhile, Truman finds himself in Maine, but will he be able to overcome the betrayal of learning his long-term boyfriend is in fact already married? dun 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 Oh, shit. (laughs) Rebecca, will you tell us more about Roan Parish? I would love to. Uh, Roan, Rowan, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, uses pronouns she. Uh, She lived in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She's very hard to find information for, so I would give you what little there was. Uh, She is attempting to write love stories in every genre and writes mostly gay and lesbian romance fiction and loves self-tattooing. Which I didn't know. Ooh. It's very quirky. Interesting. Also right? dangerous. Mm. <laughs> oh, Lisa right? would be for me. Uh, she is known for the Middle of Somewhere series, which is a trilogy that starts with Daniel, a tough, snarky, tattooed city boy, arriving in small town Michigan where he doesn't think he'll fit in until he meets Rex, a lonely, routine-driven, muscular furniture maker. Sign me the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> and the ex- Sex is intense and explosive. They both can't get out of their own heads. However, just as the walls begin to crumble, Daniel learns a secret that changes everything he thought he knew. (laughs) Heck yes. I love the facial expressions Jonathan and I were making, so that was the best. Okay. (laughs) Coming up next, she has The Rival of Casper Road, which is number four in the Garnet Run series. And I thought that it was very interesting. She has a audiobook called Strange Company, which is a queer horror collection that blends music and prose to bring its haunted words to life. Uh, I'm liking that. It is an yes. audible original. Okay, I have audible. Oh, perfect. And she can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Rowan Parish. So you can follow her there. Ooh, I'm yes. adding. I was like, queer horror collection with music? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so I here's something interesting. Go ahead. So here's something interesting that Rebecca said that made me think, okay, this is interesting. So you said there wasn't a lot of information about the author, right? This is fascinating because this author writes about a character who loves this fantasy series by Agatha Tark, which is a a fictional name. So I'm wondering if the author was writing about himself. Right? What? Ooh, mic drop. Honestly, we have to show up unannounced at her house and find out. The only Hmm? way. Philadelphia, here we come. (laughs) Sarah, can you tell us your general thoughts, just your short thoughts about this book in general? Sure. Uh, So 
I liked the book very much. Uh, it made me, of course, when I started, I thought like, this is going to be like the holiday. If you ever saw that movie with Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet, Kate Winslet, right? It was Kate yeah. Winslet. Am I crazy? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love that movie so much. I watch it every single year. It's such a good movie. And I was like, oh, it's going to be like that movie, but with queer people, right? Uh, it still was very different. Uh, the only thing that's similar is sort of the house swap that they do. Um, so it's these two characters, right? They're both having a hard time in their life. And so they decide they're like, I need to get out of like wherever I am. So they swap houses with somebody else in a totally different state, which is like, whoa, in like the thought of being able to actually do that um was mind-blowing uh but yeah I really liked it I liked the characters I liked um kind of the back and forth in the book like we would hear Greta's story and then we would hear Truman's story I loved Truman's story so much it's interesting to me I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later but I love I I related more to Greta personally but I love Truman's story more, which is an interesting twist for myself that I was like rooting for Truman 100%. I'm just like, well, maybe because I'm also in Maine. So the thought of like Truman going to Maine and finding the love of his life, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, right? We have lots of spoilers in the podcast. Um, <laughs> but like the fact that he would find his uh like love in Maine and all the main things that they talked about there um like just like the the cliffs and the rocks out by the water and just how cold it was um was very nostalgic for me I love being in Maine I love the the seasons uh and then I love just very main things um but I liked that they held some of that back in the book it wasn't like too main where they're like we saw so many moose which honestly you don't see them much of anymore in Maine um and so I just really was like rooting for Truman uh and I loved Greta's story too and I related a lot to her and like her family and her personal life and uh it, it was just uh yeah I, I really wanted I was like rooting for both of them and it was just a great book it was it was fun to read during the holidays I think yeah I will agree yeah. I found myself leaning a little more towards one story than the other even though I liked Greta and Truman equally as characters there was only one couple I was actually rooting for yes and we can talk about that a little more later. Yeah. But um, I just kind of felt like one relationship looked like it was built to last. And yes. one, I was like, well, this looks like a learning experience. Yes. And mm -hmm. when they were both, which if you've never listened to our podcast before, we do spoil. So if you're planning to read this and want to go in blind, you should have cut off five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, but when they both ended up together, I was a little like, I don't believe that because right. I actually didn't think Karis was the greatest person for Greta. No. Um, but I did believe in Ash and uh, Truman. Mm -hmm. I felt like they were both sort of a little bit outside of the box of what, you know, a gay men who have a lot of gay male friends uh, like have a certain like personality type that I felt like Truman and Ash both kind of fall out of where it's like, oh, this is part of why 
it's hard for them to find someone to date because they are not thoroughly in that world. Uh, and I was like, this makes sense for them to be together. I see like the real romance and the things they managed to overcome by the end of the book felt realistic. Whereas with Greta, I was like, I feel like we have really sped past some red flags mm -hmm. and I don't think you guys should have ended up together. Right. However, I liked the book overall. Uh, I thought there was some really funny, snappy dialogue. Um, I did feel like at times the book is a little bit too much of a, like a psychological tutorial. Like there's a little bit too much of like a self-help vibe going on where I was like, okay, I got it. Like, I see what's going on, but like, also I like at times it felt like the characters were being used to demonstrate lessons about relationships in a way that I almost would have preferred uh, some of that being toned down in favor of a better story. Okay. Rebecca. I feel the opposite. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Uh, I have my book is flagged lots of little bookmarks because I thought that there were a lot of like um, one-liners that were really like impactful. Like whenever, okay. especially Veronica uh, was talking, who is a, um, who is transgender. Mm -hmm. They were talking a lot about dealing with like family members and stuff and family, not necessarily meaning like family and making your own family and stuff. So there was a lot of bits that I highlighted as things that I want to like remember um, about like my own friends and family and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the book and, uh, I think I agree with you on the Greta and Karis part. I don't see that lasting long, but I did really like both of you love Truman and Ash. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a very adorable couple. I loved Ash. I think he's my favorite character as well as Veronica. Okay. Okay. So uh, Veronica is the roommate of Karis. Um, and like I said before, he's transgender. And I think that they are the most genuine, aside from Ash, most genuine, honest person in the book. Okay. So I, I really appreciated both of those characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really, I think if I had to pick a favorite character, for me, it would have been Muriel. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love her so much. I love Muriel. And I also really loved Ash's mom. Mm -hmm. I loved that. I love how you have this, uh, Ash has this mom who has Alzheimer's and her world is getting smaller and smaller because her son is worried about her. And I love that part of what Truman is able to do for Ash is say, she has all of these friends. Why don't you let her friends help take care of her so that her world is bigger uh, and that she can establish a routine and that it's not all on you. That was something I really love from yeah. the book. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. I love that it was not just an idea out of nowhere like it this was something that actually has happened to someone before and it like made their life more it's just so amazing I, I love that too yeah. um so many really good characters that I wish they had talked more about in the book too like Ash's mom and a little bit like I just I I loved and I loved Muriel so much I think that part with uh, Greta standing up on the stone when she was walking horse around, which is the dog, uh, Truman's dog at his house, uh, and looking over into this beautiful garden of like, oh my gosh, you can grow all these plants outside because Greta's obsessed with plants, which I could also very much relate to uh, as a uh, as a green witch. So 
um, looking over into the yard and seeing these amazing plants and then uh, like wanting to learn more about them and having have uh, just happenstance to meet Muriel um, was so exciting. And the tea that they had together, it was just such a, I loved that part about it um, more than I think the relationship that she had with. Okay. I know you see, keep saying, okay. I'm guessing in the audio book, they said Karis. They said Karis. In the book, I kept saying Carries. So I'm. You can say either. Okay. So if yeah. I say Carries, it's the same character as Karis. It was just what I read. I, I didn't listen to the audio book because I, um, it wasn't available <laughs> in the time I, frame I needed it. So I agree though. Cause I think you touch on something, which is, I really was more enchanted with Greta's relationship with New Orleans yes. than mm -hmm. I was with her relationship with Karis. And I think we can go ahead and talk about why for me, that relationship got lost when Karis, there's a moment where Greta is a very like, she's a pleaser. She is like falling into this with her family where she has a very large family and she's trying to compromise who she is to make them happy. And then she meets this person in new Orleans and she is like doing things to surprise her and make her happy. Like her girlfriend gets drunk and she's hung over the next morning. And so Greta cleans a house and Karis gets angry about it. And this is where like, this romance lost me is I felt like, okay, Karis is like, you didn't listen to me. And she's so angry and is like threatening to bail on the relationship. And I understand why. Yeah. And I think some better communication skills on both of her parts would have helped yes. because had she said, I didn't want you to clean because I had plans for me and my friends to clean together while hungover. That's part of our after holiday tradition. I feel like Greta would have listened, but instead she said, Greta offered to clean and Kara said, no, don't do that. And Greta did anyways, because she thought she was being nice. And this, uh, unfortunately, we just live in a world where that's how everybody communicates. If somebody tries to do something overly generous for you, everybody says no. And so it wasn't that I thought Karis was wrong. It was that I felt like her tone towards Greta was so harsh in that moment that I was like, oh, this is a major red flag for me. And I would feel like if I was in that relationship, I would always worry that if I did something without explicit permission, if I just surprised them and brought them lunch, or if I was like, hey, I noticed you had this puzzle on your wish list, that then that person would be like, that wish list is things I buy for myself as a treat. And I'd be like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So uh, for me, I felt like that was a weird moment where I was like, I understand what's going on, which is that I felt like the author is trying to say we should all be more direct about what we actually want. Mm -hmm. But I was like, in this instant, it felt like a bad example of what like Karis is trying to communicate. And I felt like uh, maybe there needed to be a different example because it honestly made me uncomfortable for Greta. Yes. Yes. And I have an element to add on top of that. Yeah. For that whole moment. Mm -hmm. For me personally, um, I was more uncomfortable when it got to the part when Greta felt from that situation, the way that Carrie's was responding to her, that she then felt like she was become, she's like, oh, I am now have become my narcissist mother. Mm -hmm. um, and she was then taking it, uh, be feeling guilty for how she reacted because then she thought she was becoming her mother. 
um, who she has talked about in the book as being a narcissist. Um, I have a narcissist mother. So this touches very close to home for me where I'm like, I feel like exactly like Jonathan said, is that uh, basically, you know, she, she didn't say from the beginning what it was like, why this needed to happen in a certain way. It was just like, oh, don't, you know, clean the house. And it's like, that's what most people say. Cause who wants to say, go clean my house, stupid bitch. Nobody says that shit. <laughs> uh, so I'm just like the, for her to feel then so impacted by what she said to then feel she was becoming her mother was too much for me. And I, I didn't appreciate that part. I appreciate the self-reflection again in my own life. I'm self-reflecting all the time to not become my mother. Um, but that part was like just her then then feeling internally guilty um, hit a note for me I didn't like um, and how she felt like she was becoming a mother, which I feel like her actions didn't warrant that reaction. So same. <laughs> how did you guys, this is a random change of subject. Oh, okay. But uh, how did you feel about the sex scenes? Oh, they were juicy. They were very spicy. Okay, you know we can't do moan and groan or any of my questions now because we have spoiled them all. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say, though, however, uh, in the cemetery, Mm -hmm. when Karis and Greta, mm, yeah, yes, please. (laughs) Sign <laughs> me up for that. I was like, I'm very on board. I can't, I can't stop bobbing up and down. I can't stop. <laughs> I was surprised because the sex scenes happen so late in the book. Yeah. That literally I'm in the parking lot at my job eating my lunch. It's a lovely day. I have the windows open. And all of a sudden it's like vagina. And I was like, what? <laughs> And I had to roll the windows open and I get back in work and somebody was like, what were you listening to? (laughs) So this book has already been loaned to somebody else because of that. (laughs) Uh, I have the same. Actually, it's very funny. When the first sex scene came up between Karis and Greta, I was at work. It was my also my lunch. But now I'm reading the book, so I don't have the audio book, but I'm reading it at my desk. And it just ticks at the point where I have to go now uh, to the front desk because I have to let someone go on their break. I'm literally in the middle of the first sex scene. I was so mad and my cheeks were so red. <laughs> I went out to the desk. I'm not going to lie. This is why I can't say where I work. Uh, I went to the front desk. I brought my book with me. Nobody's on the floor, but I read the rest of that scene up there because I couldn't help myself. And that is one of my favorite scenes. I'm not gonna lie. I read past that first scene. I came back and read it again. (laughs) I will say something I noticed about the sex scenes as much as I enjoyed them, in particular, uh, the sex scenes between Karis and Greta, I think are slightly more successful than the sex Mm -hmm. scene between Truman and Ash. Um, And I will say part of that is because uh, like, there just wasn't some conversations that I know that happened between two men. Like nobody asked who was a top or a bottom. There wasn't 
talk about like whether or not it was a good time to put your finger in somebody. Like, I don't know. I was like, mm, these are things that actually come up logistically because you're like, should I do that right now? Or did you have lunch? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I also noticed um, no oral and no penetration. Yeah, that was super In all three of the sex scenes. So I thought they were good, but I also was like, they are a little bit sterile. Where I was like, why is nobody going down on each other? Well, Karis and Greta have an oral scene. Do they? Did yeah. I forget that? Oh, right? Never mind. Because they're like, oh, you taste so sweet. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, because no, there's no, no, a no, third no. one for them. No, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. There was that one at the party. You're right. And that was a hot part because she was like, my makeup's done. So you can't kiss me here. Right, exactly. I feel like, how did I not remember that? Because I just remember, was it the cemetery where she was like licking her finger? Yes, that, <laughs> that's what happened then. Uh, it is during, Jonathan's right, it is during the, or before the party. It's not explicitly um, outlined. It is insinuated love to talk about the flower on the butthole can we talk um, about the flower on the butthole is like i read that i'm not gonna lie i read that several times i laughed <laughs> very hard i, I laugh, and i felt bad because i'm like i'm not in that sort of world so i'm like i maybe i shouldn't be laughing at this but i laughed i laughed too and i'm not gonna lie like i think that's part of it i was like this is very romance novel something to say like ooh, he teased her with a feather which i liked but i was like if a man ever said he was gonna put a flower on my beehole i'd be like no thank you we just need to it's that's fine there were other things about the sex scene that i thought were very successful and i think sex scenes are so hard to write in general because you know that 50% of the people reading, no matter how successful you are at writing the scene, 50% of the people reading are going to be giggling because it's funny. Sex is yes. like, it makes all of us feel like teenagers and it's hard not to giggle while reading it. If you could house swap next holiday season, where in the world would you want to go? Next holiday season. Oh, because it's January when this comes out, right? (laughs) It would be Asheville for me. I love Asheville. And I feel like it's cold enough where like you get the white Christmas without it being like, oh, you're trapped in your fucking house. Yeah. For me, it would be with my uncle in England. As much as I would miss them during the Christmas time, I would love to spend time with my uh, extended family over Christmas. And England and Christmas time is where my heart is. So I would very much love that. I love that. How about you? Mine is literally Iceland. I want to get the fuck away from everyone. Yeah. That would be awesome. Fuck away from everyone. That would be really hard for you to have a romance in Iceland. Have you? Okay, I have a friend who might meet Bjork. And literally, ha- like the pictures I've seen is like there is some magical shit there. Just mm. saying. There's some magical shit. Okay. Okay. So I have, uh, okay. Well, this is kind of going off of what we were kind of talking about. So we're just going to continue the conversation of like Greta and Truman's story. So both relationships worked out 
right? Where they both fell in love, they permanently moved, uh, and uh, they were and uh, part of the business, right, uh, of that person. So they actually inspired those businesses uh, to become a reality or better. What do you think of this ending? Is it a good one? Was it too perfect? Do you think a different ending would have been better? I'm not against perfect endings, especially considering the genre. Right. Like, I think a perfect ending keeps with the tone. Yeah. However, do I think Greta and Karis are going to last? No. Did the whole, like, oh, well, what the fuck does Greta do for a living? Oh, yeah. They talk about this. And I have forgotten what it is she does. I cannot Isn't remember. she in college? And she no, like... she helps her parents with their business. Oh, with the business. Oh, yeah. yes. it's like, how does this bitch have a house in Maine and then go to New Orleans and just randomly starts working with this honey business? Yeah, also, she doesn't do... really yes. have a job. She's working with her mom. Right. Yeah. Like, also, legally, how does this all work? Like the I... changing of houses. I feel like one thing about this book is that this book has a really optimistic view of the gig economy. Yes. Where Mm -hmm. like Truman's like, I'll start a journaling business. And I'm like, wait, what? You go, what? And I'm like, is this the elder millennial in me Mm -hmm. that I want to shut that shit down and be like, um, I think you're going to work at papyrus, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say too, real estate, real estate, Owl's Island that they talk about, which is very funny because we don't have an Owl's Island here, but we do have Owl's Head, which is real. There's a lighthouse and everything. Uh, I'm like, you're on like almost oceanfront property to, I mean, New Orleans may be also expensive, but I'm like, is there not negotiations? Are they buying each other's place? Like, what the fuck is happening? There's no way that Well, they that, can't like... be because Greta is renting in Maine. Yes, and taking over That's tr- right. lease. Yes. Yes. So how the fuck does that work out? That's what I, I wanted like to know. Like, when I first started reading this, I was like, how does this work? Well, and you have to take a little bit of that right from the jump because these are people who are like, I'm tired of my family. I'm going to disappear for a month. What job can you, A, do you have enough money in the bank to do that? And B, can you literally go? And I know that Truman works from home and that's great, but I was like, who has money to go anywhere for a month? Yeah, over Christmas. Right, that was wild to yeah. me. I mean, he was still working, though, while he was there because he could work, you know, anywhere. I feel like Truman's story was more realistic to me mm-hmm. with yes. how his, like, everything could work out. Like, that made more sense to me. I think what irritated me is just the two stories were too much the same. It was like both relationships worked out. They both wanted to move permanently. They both helped out with businesses where they went. Why did it have to be so the same? Why couldn't one business be fucked up and not work? I don't know. And they still wanted to be there, but it was okay. I think that just irritated me that it was like, he was so passionate about helping Ash with his business. And that was great. And that all worked out. And then I was waiting for like the, like, I don't know, the cannon to blow and like how real life really works. Yes. And you're right, Jonathan. It's about the genre and everything magically happening and, things being happy but that's just not life and life sucks ass sometimes and I just wanted to read some of that 
I think for me, it wasn't even that I necessarily needed to read that. But I do think that something this book does a little bit that I don't know if it worked for me personally is it it like doesn't want to fall into the romance genre trope. And so it tried to bring in a lot of that reality. Mm -hmm. But then it's hard to find once you start bringing in a, a narcissistic mother and then having to acknowledge your own faults within a relationship and then also figuring out logistics and like the messiness of like, okay, maybe that one sister I'm not going to have a relationship with. Once you have some of this reality injected in, it's kind of hard to get back to the romance genre where everything is going to end and be like, and everyone lived happily ever after when you're like, oh, but you've already shown us some very realistic things. And so for me, I don't know if it all gelled the way I necessarily wanted. I actually think I wanted it to lean more into the romance, like feel good genre. And it leaned out of it a little much for me where sometimes I was like, well, now I'm at a really sad part. Right. I 100% agree. I feel like if it was going to be a romance, be a romance. Don't bring the Alzheimer's dementia thing into it because I'm trying to feel good. And then don't be like, here's a little bit of that. Okay. But everything works happily ever after because it, in that reality, it doesn't. So I felt a little bit taken out of the romance genre with that. And I was like, either be a happy story or be a mixed unhappy story. Mm -hmm. Like it can't just end with a perfect bow when you're dealing with someone with Alzheimer's and dementia. So yes, it was jarring where like you were like taken out of it and thrown back in. And I think that was the element that was kind of hard. Yeah. I think in particular, like with the Alzheimer's, like it's hard to make it end happily when we know how that disease is going to progress. And if there is going to be this mix of unhappy and happy, I felt like it would have made more sense to uh, have one of the relationships not work out. Correct. Okay, Sarah, your next question, please. (laughs) Okay. So uh, characters in the book are queer, trans, and gender nonconforming, which is what we've kind of talked about a little bit. So in your opinion, was this book a good representation of a queer community? And was there a character that you could relate more than others? I know we've kind of talked a little bit about that, but if you could elaborate. Um, I think it was. I think uh, it did, it, like there was a good representation, not only of like the different identities uh, within the queer community, but it was like a nice positive version of a queer community yeah like one i wish i could find but also then when i think about it i'm like oh yeah i have you guys you're my queer community (laughs) and you're lovely and so i did appreciate that i do feel like it's a very different queer community in particular for truman uh and ash neither of them have like a a gay gaggle who do brunch and are catty with each other, which is something that is also stereotypical, but also realistic. A lot of gay men I know that is their queer community and uh, it doesn't seem to necessarily always be positive. So I was glad that this book gave a different kind of queer community that was uh, more about like family and being one another's family when your own family doesn't work for you. Yes, exactly. Um, 
I can't speak a lot for the queer community, but I do feel like it was a very well-rounded representation of the different aspects of queer community. So I appreciated that. And I do feel like uh, everything was, as far as I'm concerned, um, represented well. So yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. But that's what I, I liked it. Like I would have wanted, in particular, I would have wanted to be in that queer friend group in New Orleans. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. With Veronica and Helen, yes. Yes, I can totally relate with that. Actually, it's I'm really glad to get both of your takes on it because- uh, honestly, for me, this is actually my first queer book that I have read. Wow. And especially as uh, coming out as Pan, which has been kind of hard for my life mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a family and that's not really how I came into with my family. So it's been really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um so it's good to know that because I really want to read more queer books about about the queer community um, and about different characters and um, how they relate to other people. So uh, I really appreciate both of your takes on it. Yeah, and I relate most to Greta, by the way, because uh, not only is she queer, but also her family, who is so incredible incredibly intense uh in the book but also her sort of covert narcissist mother which i will hopefully talk a little bit more in a little bit because um are we still doing moans and we can yes absolutely absolutely great um so i'll talk a little bit about more of that in a bit but um yeah just kind of her perception of her family and how she deals with things so i've really related to to greta um in the book nice yeah i did have one other question oh unless you have anything else to add nope go for it okay one last question it'll be quick hopefully but who knows um so truman is obsessed with the dead of okay i didn't listen to the audiobook so i don't know how they said this word in the audiobook the zagorchich they said zagorchich oh okay Oh, great. Yeah. We're going to go whatever Jonathan said. Um, <laughs> the fantasy, like so it's it's the fantasy book series he reads. Um, he's obsessed with this series throughout the book. Like literally when he has hard times in his life, he goes back and reads these amazing fantasy series and he loves them so much. And honestly, it turns out that the house that he's staying in um, turns out to be where the author was when she was writing the book. And then he was obsessed with finding her uh, in the story, which I truly loved. I loved mm-hmm. that part of the book when he was like, I see all these little things. I can't be crazy. This has to be uh, part of the author who's nobody knew what happened to her or where she was. So it was very exciting. Um, and he ends up meeting her at the end of the book, which is really cool. I did find it a little bit of an odd element of the book um, just because of her reaction. I get it as an author. Sometimes you don't want people to just ring your doorbell. But it was a little bit of an odd element for me. I actually, um, I found that odd. But that is probably one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it is very realistic. Yes. In yes. that it wasn't going to go well. Right. Like, 
what she was going to get out of it was always different than what he was going to get out of it because obviously she doesn't want to meet. It's not like she was going to totally change her personality because one fan showed up. So I thought that was handled really well. And I really liked that scene because it was like the book for me, I had already like decided like, okay, the romance like expectations are out the window a little bit. And so I was already like this scene is probably going to be more realistic than it would be if the author Bridgerton was writing it, you know? And so I really liked it because I was like, this is probably exactly how that would go and probably a best case scenario of how that would go. Yes, indeed. So Especially because she's like, how in the world did you find me? You know, like it was just a whole element of a lot of people and him trying to find her. I did like that element. It still felt a little outside of like where does this book fit but i i totally understand uh that interpretation absolutely um but my question is um <clears throat> so is there a book or series that has been important to you throughout your life um that was a question <laughs> <laughs> i am so glad you asked this because i think as a harry potter fan we all see the correlation between the yeah. author and the book and how Agatha Tark says that the, the book series is no longer hers. It belongs to the fans. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a message for Harry Potter fans because we will no longer acknowledge the author of the book series, even though it meant so much to us as we were growing up and reading the books. The author is trying to do everything that they possibly can to ruin it. And I think the fans own the series now it has become larger than the author um because it means so much to so many people that now harry potter is ours not theirs damn rebecca that was beautifully said um i feel exactly the same way um i literally just finished the audiobook of all seven books which was huge i haven't told anyone I'm listening to them I just I've never listened to the audiobook I've always I mean I have all the copies and they're literally falling apart because I've read them so much uh but listening to the audiobook was such a magical experience for me and so I feel exactly the same way these will always be series that I love and even though it's been difficult like really difficult because of the author's views of uh certain aspects and things that they like to comment on and that's been really difficult i have to separate it because it's been such an integral part of like my life and i would continue to read them probably till i die so uh yeah i very much feel that yeah i love those books I also feel like those books can die with our generation, you know, Yeah. where now when I get asked by kids, like, what should I be reading? I'm often like, how about some Ursula K. Le Guin instead? Yeah. Uh, Because number one, a lot of the material for that book series is not original only to her. It's like repurposed from other authors. And also I feel like we can't help that we love it. Like it, that already happened. Uh, and for, I didn't read it growing up, but you guys who read it growing up, uh, that is tied together with a lot of nostalgia for you. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with you already on the books to continue reading them. Um, but I also like think that 
as people in a position to recommend books to others because we work in libraries or we have this podcast or other things like that, that I, I think the responsible thing to do is to encourage kids to read something else. Yes. Like Witchlings by Clarabelle Ortega yeah. or things like that. Yes. I very much. Oh my gosh. Yes. All of that. As a children's librarian, have I ever recommended Harry Potter? Nope. No. Never once uh, as a children's librarian have I recommended it. I have, there are so many series. Wings of Fire is such a great series kids are reading right now. Um, like uh, for me personally, yes, I, it's interesting because I grew up with the series at first. I'm not going to lie. When it first came out, I hated it. Same. Uh, it, what, I hated it with a passion and you don't want to know why. My mom read it. And then, of course, because she loved it, I was like, well, that's dumb. (laughs) Never going to read that. And we saw the first movie. She made me go. And I was like, fuck, this is really good. So I read the books. uh, And it was when I remember going to the release party of the fourth book. And that was super magical, right? Going to like Borders or Barnes & Noble. And the release parties was so fun at like midnight. Um, So it was part of like my growing up. Um, but it's not like that for kids now. There's like these amazing books coming out and amazing series that I recommend to kids um, far beyond what I personally like, which is, I think, a mark of a good librarian is it's not about what you personally think. It's about what kids love reading today, but also about the current climate that you're in an environment or even the community that you're growing up in so I think there's a lot of different factors there I also think a lot of people who work with kids they forget that the goal isn't to regurgitate your own childhood and make them read the things that you loved as a kid and so our generation we were made in school to read Laura Ingalls Wilder even (laughs) though Even when we were kids, we knew the problematic elements of those books. And it's not that they're not good books. They're very entertaining to read and they're very interesting from a historical perspective. But if you know that, A, like time has already passed, you know the problematic elements with the books. And in regards to Harry Potter, not only do we know her personal views, but we can also start to peel apart the books and recognize what's problematic about the books. Yes, very much so. And so if you know that, there's not a need to recreate and have somebody else carry on the same things that you care about when you know that they don't necessarily serve the future. Yeah. And I think it's important when recommending or requiring the kids read certain books to know that those books serve the future. Yes. So. Very well. So Jonathan, not to stray too much on track, off track. I just want to make sure to give you an opportunity to talk about a book or a series that you really have resonated with throughout your life. Um, I think for me, I like grew up reading uh, like really grown-up books and so uh like for me one of the like a book that I read as an early teenager that really shook me was A Single Man by Christopher Isherwood so it's not a series uh but that book had a lot of personal significance for me um and that's another book where you kind of have to separate 
you know, the artist from the art because Christopher Isherwood had a questionable relationship with Don Bacardi, who was decades younger than him. Um, but uh, it talked a lot about being gay and aging. And I remember reading that as a teenager and it really shaping some of my views about aging, even at an early age where I was suddenly thinking about like, what is it going to be like to be like 60? And what if I don't have a partner at that age and things like that. And so it has a lot to say about loneliness. And I've really carried that book uh, with me through a lot of phases in my life where I come back to it often and it's a very melancholy book, but also there's something kind of nice about reading something melancholy when you also struggle with depression because yes. there is something nice about having those feelings acknowledged. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. So let's talk about if The Holiday Trap was a movie. Okay. Who would you cast in the movie? Dun dun. <laughs> it's okay. Did anybody else cast it? I did. Oh, okay. Sarah, you didn't. That's okay. You get to do. I forget this every single time we podcast. I don't know fucking why. It's so annoying. I I remember the moan and groans. I remember the questions, but fucking a, I can never remember this part. So just <laughs> you okay. both go and ignore me. Yes, you get to choose, like always, right? Yes. Okay, let me pull up the pictures of the person that I picked. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, for Greta, I chose Rashida Jones. Interesting. Ooh. Yeah, who plays Anne on Parks and Rec. Right. Yes, I know that person. Yes. Yes, that's mine. I picked Kristen Stewart. Oh. Oh. Okay. And this is her as a blonde if you need a reference photo. Oh. Can, oh, do I get to be the decider in this one yes. again? Yes. Is it oh, Rashida so or is it Kristen Stewart? Because Kristen uh, Stewart gives off a little bit of a tomboy vibe. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. Blonde. Her eyes are brown, but that doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. Contacts. Yeah, I think Kristen Stewart for sure. <gasps> oh, I'm telling. Right. I'm telling Amy Poehler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And for Truman, okay. I chose Bowen Yang. He is on oh. Saturday Night Live. And yes, also, I've seen him. He also just starred in the actual first gay rom-com, uh, Fire Island. Okay, hold on, because I'm currently looking up. I don't know his name. Okay. Did you watch Wednesday, Sarah? No, I've been wanting to. I just okay. you'll like it. What's it's that? good. The, the the coffee boy's name. Oh it yeah, looks the barista. Good. Barista. What? That's not his name. That's just his uh, title. Tyler uh, Galpin. Is that him? <laughs> Tyler Galpin. Anyway, that's who I chose. I'm gonna show him. Oh, he's cutie for Truman. Wait, wait. Pull it up, up, up a little bit. I'm trying to. I'm getting a glare. It's a glare. Trust me, he's cute. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> he's, he's got like light brown, blondish hair and big doe eyes. And... There we go. Oh, there we go. Oh, it's gone. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Tyler that, Galpin. that one. That Look at that face he's Tyler making. Tyler Galpin. Okay. Can you see okay. that face he's making? Okay. In the... Okay. Now, yes. Ash, I did not cast. I did. Okay. But ooh, it's ooh. my usual. It's Jonathan Bailey who plays Anthony on Bridgerton. 
okay. Mm. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I like that. But now with Jonathan Galpin, the age difference is troubling. I feel like someone... It's fine. I picture someone with longish hair and somewhat a little bit more built mm. for Ash. I I think I may have just chose Jonathan Bailey because I would choose Jonathan Bailey with anything. I Okay, I have to bring up a, a flower, right? A I flower cast a flower, <laughs> <laughs> it's a flower, isn't it? I would let Jonathan Bailey put a flower on my butthole. I would let him do whatever the it fuck. A lot, he I would a lot. let Jonathan Bailey step on my head, like it's fine. I would let him hit me with a baseball bat. I would whatever the fuck fine. Hit me with a car, honestly. Golden shower is fine. Set my house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, There's cast- no coming back from this. We've said golden showers on the podcast. Cast Karis. Did you cast Karis? Yes, I did. Okay, for Karis, I cast the comedian Michelle Buteau. Oh, yes. <gasps> oh, I love Ooh. her. Do you see her? Yes, I do. She yeah. is so hot and so funny. Okay. I chose Natalie Emanuel, who's from the movie The Invitation and also from Game of Thrones. But I agree. I think it's Michelle Buteau. Okay. Yeah, it's Michelle for sure. Michelle Wynn. Michelle Wynn. Rebecca Wynn. (laughs) <laughs> that's it i only cast the main four. Oh well for helen i pictured um mj rodriguez from pose oh wait who is this love that helen oh yes 100 percent. love that yes and then for muriel i muriel a funky version of helen mirren okay oh. i can see that or like a lily tomlin yeah oh i love lily tomlin but I think someone so a little cute. bit more graceful than like okay. i know that lily tomlin's not graceful but somebody who's got a little bit more like um Sponge? Jane fonda <laughs> uh, right <laughs> i can see that i can see that i love that and that that was all i casted I could really see Lily Tomlin though. I got to yeah. see her live once, and that was pretty. Strange. I did too. Uh, I saw her live. Yeah, that was very fun. And nobody knew you were Pan, and you wanted to see Lily Tomlin live. <laughs> to be fair, uh, it was when I was in college, and I was an ambassador for the theater company mm-hmm. uh, on campus, and so I got to see her for free because I just had to. It was like basically an usher. I just had to wear one of their disgusting jean, uh, green jackets, and seat people, and then I got to watch the show. Ooh, it was very fun. Okay, so I yes, though, there's been lots of weird indicators in my entire life since I was in eighth grade, sixth grade, sixth grade that I, I was think, in. So. I think the fact that your first kiss, uh, your first kisses were with your friends is a and we great, were worried about our braces. Indicator. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Come on, Allison, let's practice again. We want to be experts. <laughs> it wasn't even a practice. It was just I don't know uh it's okay uh in high school no middle school this is middle school there was this kid named chris barton i'm gonna say his whole name chris barton who like literally for some reason it became a thing where like we would kiss and it was like ooh, we're just doing it to freak everybody else out and he might have i think he actually turned out straight but i was like every day i'd be like let's freak him out again <laughs> let's freak him out <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was like, wait, this is this is real love, right? <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut this episode up. That's okay. It's okay. Cutting out that name and I'm cutting out golden showers and flower on the bubble. I'm not cutting any of that. You you can't cut what if you he can't finds cut me out this is flower. No cutting out the flower on the butthole. That's a real thing that happened. Yeah. Let it the hashtag. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let it grow. Okay, I have a game for you guys. Great. Oh, it's that's right. This, that or the other. This, that, or the other. This, that, or the other. Okay. And I'm going to name something. And it is either a carnivorous plant, because Greta grows carnivorous plants. Oh, shit. It is a, or a font. Because Truman is a bullet journaler and loves fonts. Okay. Or it's an author's secret pen name. <laughs> okay. Ready? Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right. The first one is Currer Bell. Is it a font, a carnivorous plant, or an author's secret pen name? A carnivorous plant? Okay. okay, Sarah says carnivorous plant. Rebecca says author. Rebecca gets the point. It is Charlotte Rebecca's Bronte's genius. pen name. Ooh. Yes, it's Charlotte Bronte's pen name. I is should have that. Okay, ready? Number two, Drosera Capensis. Is it an author, a font, or a plant? plant. Drosera Capensis. Sarah says plant. I say plant. It is a plant. It is shaped like a rosette, and this plant will curl its tentacles oh. in if an unlucky fly should land on its appendage. So its fingers almost look like the Grinch fingers, and it Ooh. curls them in. Yeah. That's weird. I'm going to guess plant every time and just hope I hit something. Okay. <laughs> there you go. That's how you... That's so how you take your standardized test. Just A, it's A, true. A, A, A. No, it's C. C oh, all the way down. C. There you C. go. Bachman. Bachman. It's a font. It is uh Richard Bachman is actually Stephen King's pen name. Bullshit. He really <laughs> I almost he released... author, but Rebecca seems so like, yes, I'm gonna go on the on the Rebecca <laughs> oh, train. Don't listen to me. <laughs> he released Rage and Thinner under that pen name. Interesting. Okay. Bodoni. This is a font. Bodoni. I agree with Rebecca. It is a font. It was created in 1798. This font is used for the Nirvana logo and Vogue magazine's typeface. Cool. Okay. Nepenthes Attenborough. Nepenthes Attenborough. It's a fucking plant. It is a plant. Uh, so Nepenthes Attenborough is a pitcher plant named after Sir David Attenborough. Yes. All right. <clears throat> Futura. Futura. Oh, that's a font. font. It is a font. I know created, that one. It was created you know in it. 1927, and this is the favorite font of Wes Anderson and is the most popular typeface for movie posters. Oh, okay. Okay. Last one. Interesting. Ferrante. Ferrante. Mm, that's a tough one. Ferrante. It could just be Ferrante. I'm going to go with gonna... plant. What did you say, Rebecca? Plant. I'm going with Rebecca. Rebecca train all the way. 
Elena Ferrante is the author of the Neapolitan novels and The Lost Daughter, which just came out on Netflix last year with Olivia Colman. Her identity is still in dispute, and some people even think she might be a man. Oh. Yes, but I don't think so. I think if you read her novels, she's very obviously a very intelligent woman. Okay. You know what? I think this is actually a plant in Maine, which <gasps> people haven't heard about yet. So or, I think that is right. Or it's maybe a plant in Maine specifically. Maybe it's a so, plant and an author, and it's just mm-hmm. like mm, give me a book deal. Book deal. Like store. Agatha Tark, you don't know that they lived and worked here, so it's totally possible. And it writes in its own original font, named after itself. So in blood. In blood. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Everybody, uh, we're going to go over our moan and our groan. Right. Okay. Sarah, please go first. Okay. My moan, I have several for each. I'm very sorry. Oh my God. Narrow it down. (laughs) (laughs) We only have eight minutes left. It's fine. Okay. (laughs) First... Is the uh, the sex scene with Greta and Carrie's? I had to go back and read again and again and again. (laughs) Did I sing once? Uh, okay. And I really loved the scene with Truman and Ash in the cave. I think I loved that scene because they really like came out to each other, just like showing each other who they are. And then just like the kiss between them, it was just very like, there was no sex in it or anything. It was just like them, um, like showing how much that they care about each other. I just really loved that whole scene and like the magicalness of like Truman figuring out like, oh, like this is what Agatha Tark wrote about in the books. And then like, when they went there together, but then it was also part of Ash's past uh, and memories he had there from when he was a kid. So like, that was just really magical for me. I really loved. So it's like, I had a scene from each of uh, Greta's and Truman's uh, stories. And what about your groan? Yes. Okay. So I also have a couple groans. Okay. Um. <laughs> Uh, first is uh, we've talked a little bit previously about the fight between Greta and Karis. Um, so I won't have to go into that too much. Uh, but it was just like that part for me was difficult. Um, second was um, it was the ending where Greta's mom came to Greta's house to make things right at the end. Um, it, in my mind, if she was such a covert narcissist that they talk about in the book, um, this part would have never happened for me. Uh, she I thought was, the narcissist was Karis's mom. It was also Greta's mom. Greta's uh, mom. Yeah. It, Greta's was, mom was like obsessed with like making sure the family did everything that she wanted to do. Okay. Yeah, so it was like, for me, I just feel like in that moment, like, she would have played the guilt card to the end, and so that was hard to, like, that's something my mother would have done, so I think it was hard to, like, really get into that part. 
Mm -hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Rebecca, what are your moan and groan? Moan your favorite part, groan your least favorite part. Right. Thank you for reminding me because I always get them mixed up. Moan, I have two. Uh, The first one is when Veronica is talking, Veronica is talking to Greta about the hive. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like this message of like your people is your hive kind of situation. Um, so I really loved it. was very quotable. I loved that part. And the other part I can't remember. So we're just going to go straight into the groan. Okay. Groan is the bad part, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> My groan is what we keep talking about is Karis freaking out about Greta doing nice things for her. Yeah. Because I feel like what you said, that's very much red flags. Like Greta's constantly going to be like, well if I do this, is she going to freak out kind of situation? So I feel like Karis and Greta wouldn't have ended up together in the long run mm-hmm. because I feel like that kind of relationship is unsustainable. Okay. My moan, I actually really liked Greta's family and I found that dynamic very interesting to read about. Um, so I really liked that part uh and i loved the scene with truman and ash in the cave that was my definite moan probably my favorite scene scene. um and then my groan uh is probably uh it probably is that scene with karis it really bothered me uh it really tainted me on that part of the book where I was like, when they ended up together, I kind of felt worried for Greta that now she's just found herself in another relationship where she has to walk on eggshells. Yes. Just like she does around her family. Yeah. So I didn't like that part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you give the book out of 10? Ooh, out of 10. Sarah? I think I would give the book an eight and a half. I really oh, liked okay. it. It was a couple things that took me out of the element, uh, which I think, get, you know, brings it down a couple notches. Right. But I think at eight and a half, I still really enjoyed the characters in the book and I really liked it. So, um, yeah, eight and a half for me. I think for me, it's a seven because I liked it. Uh, I've recommended it to other people, but I don't know if I will be revisiting it. Mm. Okay, I give it, yeah, about an eight. Uh, I did really enjoy it. I enjoyed the characters. There were some bits that I thought were, you know, not the greatest, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Will I recommend it to other people? Yes, as like a fun holiday LGBTQ plus book. Will I read it again? Probably not. Yeah, I think that's fair. Would you read more from this author? Yes, because that other one, the Middle of Nowhere series, sounds juicy. Yeah, I would definitely read more from this author. Because, like, I might not have uh, liked that one particular element of the relationship. But overall, I still sped through this and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Sarah? Yeah, same. I think I would, too. If anything, I'd probably give it a little bit of time. Um, I kind of like to do that sometimes with uh, reading books from the same author. Um, but if we wanted to like maybe take up another holiday scene next uh holiday season, maybe this one would be something we could do together. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay. So uh we are going to talk about what we are reading, watching, or listening to that is bringing you happiness or joy. It can be anything that you are currently enjoying. Rebecca, what is something you are reading, watching, or listening to? 
Um, let me think about this for a second. I've been reading a couple witchcraft books, which I have been really enjoying. One is called Witchcraft Simplified, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. It is a very small, nice little book that very much simplifies witchcraft and has a good couple of spells in it. So I highly recommend it. Nice. I love that. Yeah. Uh, mine is, I'm on a real Netflix kick right now. Uh, I watched the new Guillermo del Toro uh, Pinocchio, and that was excellent. I watched the new Knives Out, The Glass Onion, and that was uh, very bisexual, and I loved it. Oh. Yes, high queer energy. Janelle Monet is amazing. Nice. I also think a strong argument could be made that Benoit Blanc is homosexual uh, in this film. Uh, it's very good. I don't know who Benoit Blanc is. He's Daniel Craig's character. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And then the other one, I just watched the Matilda musical. Was it good? It was so good. The music was excellent. And the story was very good. I thought Emma Thompson would be the highlight. Uh, She is not. It is actually the actress who plays Miss Honey and the little girl who plays Matilda. Their chemistry together is so good. Awesome. Sarah, how about you? Yeah, so as you know, I just finished the audiobooks of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So I just finished that. Uh, so that was uh, really magical to listen to. But I'm still in the middle of The Once and Future Witches by Alex Harrow. Uh, I had to put that on hold while I was uh, actually reading the book for this podcast. So um, I'm hoping to really get back into it because I'm really, really enjoying it. It's yeah. um, very similar to to Practical Magic with uh, uh, by Alice Hoffman, which of course we all loved and got tattoos by. Um, mm-hmm. But it's similar, but not so similar that I feel like it's trying to be Alice Hoffman. So I'm really enjoying reading it. So I'm excited to get back into that book. Um, but on the side, I'm also reading The Hearth Witch's Year. Uh, which is a great book. It's Rituals, Recipes, and Remedies Through the Seasons by Anna Franklin. I picked it up from an adorable little bookstore when I went to a library conference. Um, So it's got some really great uh, spells in there, Um, but also, like I said, recipes and remedies. And I like that it's broken up by season, so I can actually go to like that specific month of the year and be like, ooh, this is something I could do during like December or January. So I really liked that aspect of it. I love that. That's awesome. I have to ask, did you listen to the American or the English audiobook of Harry Potter? Oh, I listened to the British. It was Jim Dale. Okay. There was an American one? The American one is actually Jim Dale. The English one is Stephen Fry. Okay, okay. This is fascinating that you say this. I, to the deepest part of my soul, I love Stephen Fry so much. I have both audiobooks at my library, actually. I have Stephen Fry's and Jim Dale's. Um, If I had, so I listened to the audiobook through Club Library, through my library. Stephen Fry's version was not available on Club Library, even purchasing. So I do all the purchasing for children's books on cloud library through my library if i could purchase stephen fry's books through cloud library i would but they're not even available which makes me sad it took me a while to get used to the jim dale version of harry potter i think he does a great job 
Would I have preferred Stephen Fry? Yes. I love his voice so much. He also did the voice of Pocoyo. If you've ever watched that silly children's show, it's on like net. I think I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore or Hulu. But anyway, he doesn't it's very cute. Um I love Stephen Fry and I've actually heard like bits about like him recording the books for uh like recording the series. And so I really would love to have listened to him. I would have to get the CDs through my library to listen to in my car, which I've thought about doing. Um, I think Jim Dale does fine. I just, his voice for Hermione drives me crazy. Uh, yes, exactly. It's just like... Harry. 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 I actually, I am a hardcore Jim Dale. I loved Jim Dale. I like picked out a version with Stephen Fry and I was like, oh, that's not what I wanted. And I returned it because I actually really liked his heavy, heavy. I hate it. I think it was just like, it made her seem a little silly, which she's just such a like. she says, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I like his haggard voice. I like his, like, I think he does a great job with the voices. And here's one thing that is fascinating to me. With such a variety of characters through seven books and being able to stay with the same voice, like remembering what voice to do with which characters, like I would never be able to do that. So he doesn't, I don't want to put down Jim Dale at all. I think he does a great job. I just. I'm telling him. (laughs) Could call him up right now. That's right. I'm calling him. I'm gonna tag him in this podcast. Jim, Jimmy, by the way. <laughs> oh my god, that's, that, that's so funny. Yeah, that's right. So I, Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> Harry, Harry. All right. Well, we better leave it there. But for yeah. our listeners, our next episodes, episodes that we have coming up, I don't know the order. I've given up on that. <laughs> uh, we are reading Reluctant Immortals by Gwendolyn Keist. And I know at least Sarah and I are reading Once in Future Witches by Alex Harrow. Yeah. So, oh, are you going to read that I too? I do that, yeah. Oh my God, it's so fucking I good. Ah, oh, So we have those episodes upcoming and you should receive them in 2024. <laughs> And you have not heard the last of me. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, stay spooky and we'll see you on They're Coming to Read You, Barbara. The music for They're Coming to Read You, Barbara, comes from Eric Matias at www.soundimage.org. Yes.